Hey, good morning, New Life Downtown. It's great to see you this morning. How's everybody doing today on this beautiful fall day? Very well? Excellent. Colors and the leaves and still 75 degrees outside. It can't, uh, it's hard not to love Colorado this time of year. Hey, my name is Jason Jackson. I serve as the lead pastor here at New Life Downtown. And if you're visiting today, if this is your first time, maybe somebody invited you, maybe you found out uh, about New Life Downtown another way, we just want to welcome you. We're so absolutely delighted that you're here. Thanks for uh, coming and spending the morning with us. We would love to get a chance to meet you. Uh, and that can happen a couple of ways. One is if you have a phone and know how to work a QR code, you can take and scan this and it'll give you a guest card and you can fill that out and then it gives us a chance to follow back up with you. Or after the service, out in the lobby, there's a big banner that says welcome. You can stop by that banner. Someone will meet you there, uh, get a chance to introduce uh, introduce yourselves uh, to one another and uh, give a gift to you and just thank you for coming. Uh, so we'd love love to get a chance uh, to meet you in that way. If you're watching online today, we love you. We miss you. We hope that you are doing well. Uh, we'd love to see you back in person at some point in the future, if that's possible uh, for you. I want to invite you to stand this morning as we turn our attention to God and worship. If this is your first time, we uh, are, are people who sing with our whole hearts uh, and are going to come to the table every single week in liturgy. So we, we love to worship. We love to pray. We love the scriptures. We love the sacraments, and we're glad that you're here uh, with us this morning. Let's turn our attention to him this morning as we worship. Good morning, church family. Welcome, welcome. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to share something with you as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't it good that we serve a God who sees us? Come on, you can do better than that. Isn't it good that we serve a God who sees us and knows our heart? and knows what we're going through. But he also wants to renew and refresh us. And I'm so grateful for that. So this morning, as we learn and remember how to take rest in God, I'm gonna invite you to just take a moment, close your eyes if you're able, and begin to just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. Think about the wind that we feel and we know is outside. We feel it often, but we can't see it blowing, but we can feel the effects of the breeze that can be refreshing. And in that same way, even though we can't see what the Holy Spirit is doing, even though sometimes we can't um, know that he's with us, we can feel what he's doing in our lives and the Holy Spirit is moving among us. He is reviving us. He's renewing us, but most of all, he knows what we need in this season of our lives. Most of us know how breathing in deep breaths, sometimes in the midst of moving too fast or just troubles in our life can really kind of reset us. So today, as we begin in worship, I invite you to take a deep breath in. Everybody just take a deep breath in. 
just begin to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, you are with us. God, we feel you close to us. Help us to remove all distractions and to remember that you surround us with your love and your peace. Lord, we are calling on you because we know that with you all things are possible and with you we are safe and we know that your Holy Spirit can renew us and refresh us. God, we just call on your Holy Spirit. Spirit move in us. Oh, Spirit move in this place. We need you, God. Spirit sound, rushing wind, fire of God, fall within. Holy Ghost, breathe on us. From sin, revival and your smoldering breath of God, fan us into flame. We need a fresh wind, fragrance from heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. See 
sing it. You promised never to forsake. But you begin, you will sustain. Yes, we know. Yes, we know. And I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to.
and we call upon the mighty name of Jesus this morning that we have declared it breaks every stronghold. And so this morning, I just wonder if there are, if there are places in our lives that we're still seeing them as shackled, but they're actually not. Like actually the Holy Spirit wants to speak a new word over those places. And so I wonder if just we can take just a moment and just, again, just come back to center. Still, still our hearts before the Lord. And Holy Spirit, we've welcomed you here this morning. And I just ask in this moment, Lord, would you bring to mind for us any place whether it's in our past or whether it's something we're currently walking through, whether it's a situation, a relationship, a diagnosis, whatever it is, God, but something that we have looked at and declared it unchangeable, unhealable, unreconcilable, places where we've lost hope, where we've stopped even asking, Lord, God, what is that thing? Is there anything like that in our lives? If you feel comfortable, just put your hands out right in front of you like this and and imagine just placing that thing. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to see this with your eyes. Whatever this is, God, give give us your perspective on it. God, would your love overflow over this situation? over this relationship, over this thing in our past that we just think is too much. Help us to remember that you are El Roy, the God who sees. You are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. You are a God who makes ways, Lord. You are a God who breaks chains. Father, you are a God who can do unimagined, just, just, immeasurably more than we can even think to ask for. God, let faith arise. Let faith arise in our hearts over these places. God, bring healing. God, bring wholeness. Let us never grow weary of asking for your kingdom to come. Of asking for your will to be done in our lives.
Let's sing it and declare it. You are the same. Yes, you are the same. You never change, God. You are providing then. You are providing now. You are the Oh, yes, you're the same, God. You are the yes, you're the same, God. You move in power then. God, move in power now. You are the songs that we just sang are such a reflection of, I think, of our life with God, that there are times that we sing these songs and we're singing them with this, like, robust sense of proclamation. Like, yes, God, you, there's a, I'm 
proclaiming that I'm experiencing the freshness of the Holy Spirit. I'm proclaiming that I've experienced freedom. I'm proclaiming that you have redeemed my story and taken away my shame. And times when we proclaim this, you have provided, you have healed. And we're singing those songs out of the strength of seeing how God shows up in those areas in our lives. And other times we're singing them out of desperation. Dear God, I'm in a desert and I need your spirit to blow. Dear God, I'm so caught up in pain and hurt and addiction and habits and things that are just keeping me so trapped and I need you to set me free. God, I'm, I'm so overcome with shame. I have no clue how you're going to redeem my story. How could you possibly do that? We sing and pray sometimes in desperation. And this morning, if that's you, I just felt like I want to pray Isaiah 61 over you today. This is a passage that Jesus read when he was starting his ministry to announce what he came to do. And maybe you're like, I, I want someone to lay hands on me and pray. I'm, I'm, I'm in a really tough spot and I need to know that there's people around me. If, if you wanna do that and you wanna raise your hand and people around you can lay their hand on you and pray along with me, great. If you're like, I'm not comfortable doing that right now, that's fine too. But if you find yourself in one of those tough places, that worship today was a prayer of desperation. Would you receive these words? Jesus spoke them to describe what he came to do. He said this from Isaiah 61. says, the Lord God's spirits. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus, would you break in to stories with good news today? He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted where there are broken hearts, where there are broken dreams, where there are places of deep hurt and pain. Would you come in with your healing and bind up the brokenhearted? He said, I came to proclaim release to the captives and liberation for prisoners. Where there is bondage today, where there is a lack of freedom, where there are shackles. Jesus, would you come in in all of your goodness and all of your gentleness would you begin to set us free from the things that keep us from the full life that you have for us? Would you proclaim release today? You came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of your vindication to comfort all who mourn. Jesus, would you comfort those who are mourning among us today? to provide for mourners, for those who are crying out and our grief is compounded by all of the fear of where are these needs going to be met now? Would you bring provision? To give them a crown in a place of ashes, oil of joy in the place of mourning. Would the joy of the Lord break out in this place this morning? And then it says this, it says, you who are going through all of those things will be called the oaks of righteousness large, beautiful, strong trees that proclaim the glory of God and provide shade for others. Would you redeem stories in such a way today, God, that that becomes true, that we can see how you take all of the broken, shattered pieces of our lives and you redeem us and turn us into oaks of righteousness. 
planted by you to give glory to God. They will be called those who rebuild the ancient ruins. They restore the formerly deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. Would you redeem our stories in such a way that our redemption becomes a part of your redemption for the world and for others? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated this morning, family. So good to see you today. Jen, team, thank you for leading us today. Thank you, thank you so much. As we continue in service today, I want to invite you to participate in the life of this community. First, by saying goodbye to our middle schoolers as they uh, head out to uh, their gathering. Middle schoolers, we love you. You are awesome. Uh, and hope you have a great time back there with Pastor Brock and the team. Volunteers, thank you. Uh, so much of the life of the church uh, happens because of the sacrifice of the people. Uh, by sacrificing your time and serving in all the areas that you serve in and by taking a part of what God has entrusted to us and sacrificing it as an offering, as a way of saying, God, you've provided for me and I'm going to sacrifice a portion of that as a way to care for the body of Christ and to reach out to our city. So there are four ways that you can give. You can give online or via the app. If you're giving online or the app, please make sure you select New Life Downtown as your congregation of choice. If you set up online, recurring giving, uh, please make sure you check that too to make sure New Life Downtown uh, is where you have that giving designated to. Or you can give uh, in the boxes in the lobby or mail it in, especially for those of you who are walking or who are watching online, not walking online, that would be very difficult uh, to do. But let's take a moment now and just pause our hearts and ask God to speak to us through his word. Good morning. My name is Debbie. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Kings 16:29 through 31. In the 38th year of Judah's king Asa, Ahab, Omri's son, became king of Israel. He ruled over Israel and Samaria for 22 years and did evil in the Lord's eyes more than anyone who preceded him. Ahab found it easy to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, Nebat's son. He married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, who was the king of the Sidonians. He served and worshipped Baal, the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Ruth. The New Testament reading is found in Romans 12. 19 through 21. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. The word of the Lord. 
Hello, my name is Sylvia. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us this, the, the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. I have to confess something first, though. I, I do chuckle sometimes when I'm picking out the scripture readings, and then the reading is dark. And then I imagine the moment where we have to all say, thanks be to God. Um, I, I don't know why. I, there's, like, there's moments I go, oh, this Old Testament reading is dark. And then we're going to say, thanks be to God. And that's just going to feel weird. Um, and then I, like, it's like pastoral humor. I just like somehow get some sort of... Yeah, anyway, Jesus, we need help, uh, or maybe just I do. Uh, but Father, we thank you uh, that your word is good, that your word is living, your word is active, uh, your word comes into our lives and cuts through all of our defenses and begins to do something in us. Because you speak, our lives are changed by your word and by your spirit. So continue to let that be true for us today. Speak, and Spirit of God, move among us, that we may be transformed into your image, into your likeness, that we may more fully participate in your inbreaking kingdom. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, if you came in a little bit late, my name is Jason. It's good to see you this morning. We're so glad that you're here. If this is your first time or you're visiting, once again, welcome. We're delighted that you're here. We'd love to help you uh, connect in any way that we can here uh, at New Life Downtown. Please let us know how we can help. And if you consider New Life Downtown your home, if you're like, this is where I go to church, this is my church, these are my people, then I officially commission you every single single Sunday to introduce yourself to someone new and to invite them to lunch. Uh, invite them into the things that you're doing. If you're involved in Alpha, invite them to Alpha. If you've got a meal group, invite them to a meal group. You're serving on a team, invite them to your team. Community is built together. And so whatever ways that we can do that, let's lean into those opportunities. Uh, over the past few weeks, like so many of you, I have spent uh, a lot of time reading and watching uh, the reports uh, out of Israel and Gaza. And one of the sort of reflections that I've had in the middle of uh, reading and watching and praying is just how many times in those moments I've been reminded of evil. Not just, oh, things are bad or that's tragic, but evil. Like there's been times where I've, I've read things or heard things and the only thing that I can say is that is evil. And every time I have that moment in life where you look at something and you're like, I have no other word for it than this, it's unsettling to us. It's deeply sort of disturbing. We're always sort of wondering, what do we do with that? As I was processing some of the emotions behind that this week, I began to wonder, I was like, when was the first time that I remember feeling that? When was the first time in my life I remember thinking, 
that that's evil and I, know, I don't know for sure what to do with it. And as I was reflecting, I was like, there, I've experienced some, like many of you, just really hard things in life. Um, times that life just, you know, sort of became disrupted in some way. Probably the most dramatic was my mom's car accident when I was six. She was hit head on by a drunk driver and her whole life's been sort of altered because of that. All of our family altered because of that incident. But I don't remember at six thinking that that was evil. I remember like, this is awful. This is tragic. And this person made terrible decisions and it completely disturbed all of our lives. I remember even as a kid growing up, I, I watched a lot of horror movies. Um, I loved the show Unsolved Mysteries for some reason. For those of you who watched that, I read a lot of true crime. Uh, I read some really disturbing things. It was like baseball and true crime uh, is what I spent my time uh, reading. And I remember even in those moments, not, I mean, it felt distant. Like the movies felt a little bit unreal and those other things felt pretty distant for me. It's like, yeah, I, I know that that's really bad or that's evil, but it didn't quite strike me the same way. And then as I was thinking through it, there was a, a memory that I had that was like, oh, this is the first time I really remember thinking or feeling that. And it was around a national news story. And so I did a little bit of research to kind of remind myself of it. And I was surprised as I went back to read the story that it happened 34 years ago today. Uh, it was October 22nd, 1989. I was a 10-year-old kid living in a small town in northern Iowa. I was about to be 11. It was a couple weeks before my birthday. I was in the fifth grade. And it was a Sunday just like today. So I was thinking like, what was my life like at that time? Well, on Sundays, our family would gather together for, my mom would make like just loads of uh, homemade buttermilk pancakes. Uh, and then she'd make me a couple over easy eggs to put on top of that so I can mix the yolk and the syrup together. I know it's gross, but I still, I still do it. And bake it, and we would watch football. Uh, like that's how we would spend the day um, talking about sports. It was 1989, so the World Series has just been interrupted by the earthquake. Uh, they'd had a couple games, and then the tragic earthquake had hit the Bay Area, and the A's and Giants were playing, so there was that gap there. And so I spent my day on that Sunday probably eating carbs and watching football and yelling at the TV, um, as so many of you will do later on today. <laughs> um, but three hours north, three hours north of where I grew up in a small town in Minnesota, St. Joseph, Minnesota, a town at the, same, at the time was the exact same time as, size as my little hometown of 3,000 people. There were um, three boys my age um, who had ridden their bikes into town to go to the convenience store to rent a VHS tape and come home and watch a video, something that I had done so many times, riding my bike into town to go to the video store, which in my town was called the Video Place um, because there was only one, so you, didn't, you just called it what it was, the grocery store, the video place, the gas station, etc. And as these boys were biking home, um, car pulls out and an armed and masked person comes out of um, the car and abducts one of the boys, a boy named Jacob Wetterling. We'd find out 27 years later that he was killed that same night, but he just disappeared. And for 27 years, his family didn't know what was going on. And I remember getting up that, that morning and hearing the story. And I think the proximity of 
geography and age and like that experience of riding my bike and doing all of those same things, it unsettled me in a different way. It set shockwaves throughout these small Midwestern towns that we all thought like that kind of stuff happens in the city. That happens in New York and Boston and L.A. and, you know, those, those places. But in small town in the Midwest, like maybe Chicago, maybe Des Moines, but not, not here, not in towns like this. And it shattered that sense of safety. And I remember at that moment feeling like evil was close. It was like evil's real. And it didn't feel very far away. I think all of us, if we think about our lives, we have moments or memories where that became true. So those really hard moments where we grew up. There was like childlike sort of innocence or joy was robbed from us in this world. Sometimes it was because really dark things happened to us or happened to somebody that we love. For others, it was just the startling news of something happening for many people. I think it was 9-11 and some of those moments of just going, oh my goodness, like, Everything feels different now. And there are moments where we realize that there is real evil in the world and its presence is often the greatest obstacle to faith. It's an obstacle for us. We are immediately sort of, follow, we follow all of those moments up with all these questions. Why did that happen? Where was God? Why didn't he? Why didn't he prevent this? Why didn't he Stop it. Why isn't he stopping it? Why is this going on so long? These are the questions that come up for us every time that we encounter evil. And we don't just encounter evil in the world. We find it in the text. In the text, we'll read through these stories and we realize there is evil in these moments. And we ask these same questions. Where's God and what is he doing and what is he about in these moments? We're in this series through First and Second Kings, or really just First Kings. Uh, we're just doing the one book, not two, for this, for this go around. Reading through First Kings. And it begins with Solomon. And uh, we spent several weeks talking about him. Then we spent the last couple weeks talking about the kingdom becoming divided into two. The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Evan and Steve did a great job talking about uh, those passages the last couple of weeks. And the end of the book, 1 Kings, just all about the northern kingdom and really about King Ahab and the prophets of Elijah and Elisha. Some of those stories that we heard, you know, in Sunday school, if you grew up in church and then you read them and you're like, oh, that's not quite how I remember it uh, being presented from there. We're going to spend five more weeks in this book. We're picking up at the end of chapter 15 and we're in this story about the northern kingdom. The Northern of the King was founded by King Jeroboam the first. And as we read what happens, we read the story and it's one after another. We'd read about these violent coups in which entire households were wiped out. And we're like, what is this? This feels more like the Godfather than the good news of the scriptures. Like, what am I reading? And throughout the narrative, we have these repeated phrases or ideas. And one of them is that each and every one of these kings and every subsequent king of the northern kingdom is given a negative evaluation. They are accused of doing evil. 
Like the kings, the leaders of the land, the leaders of God's people are doing evil. It goes on, it says they're perpetuating the sin of Jeroboam, worshiping other gods and idols and causing other people to sin. It reads like this kind of in a formulaic way, 1 Kings 15, 33. He did evil in the Lord's eyes by walking in Jeroboam's ways and the sin he had caused Israel to commit. We read this and this is not like a simple performance evaluation. This is not like a political report card of like, oh, how are they doing, you know, electing, you know, a speaker of the house? How's that going? You know, kinds of things. It's not just sort of like, oh, things aren't going so well right now. Some of Israel's kings, some of these people were politically savvy. They were incredibly successful. Omri, who gets six verses in this chapter, according to the archaeological evidence, was this phenomenal builder, someone who brought all of this sort of prosperity uh, to the kingdom of Israel, played this significant role even in international politics where sometimes in other countries they don't refer to it as the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of Omri. And there's all of this archaeological evidence about him. We get six verses in the text. He just did what was evil. <laughs> It's all that's being told. So this isn't just a performance evaluation. And it's not just a theological one. It's not like this just saying, oh, they had some wrong ideas about God. They had a little bit of poor theology where they just, they weren't implementing the best practices. You know, if they, if they just had, you know, tried this instead of that, then it would have been different. This is a moral evaluation. That's what we're reading And what the scriptures remind us is that theology and ethics are inseparable. Yes, they had some very distorted views of God. But those distorted views of God led them to live in some very disruptive ways. Theology and ethics are not inseparable. They're independent on one another. Who we worship, what we worship, what we believe and why we believe it forms how we live. It informs what we value. It, it determines so many of the ways that we live in the world. If we begin to have wrong beliefs about God or wrong beliefs about other people, those will eventually come out in our actions. And that's what's happening here for Israel. Israel's committing idolatry, yes, but they're doing evil. It's coming out in their lives. From Jeroboam forward in the northern kingdom, as false beliefs persist, evil escalates. It's not just there once. It's ongoing and it starts to get worse. We see like one king does what's evil, another king does what's evil, another king does what's evil. Then we get to Omri and it says, Omri did evil in the Lord's eyes, more evil than anyone who preceded him. Like, man, it's not getting better And then you read the next, like a couple lines later, his son Ahab, same thing, did evil in the Lord's eyes more than anyone who preceded him. He was like one-upping his dad. It's like, but in the wrong ways. And Ahab, not only did he do more evil than anyone, he found it easy to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Found it easy. As we read these texts, evil grows and it seems to get easier. It's easier for it to be committed. We find so many times in the world is that where evil is modeled, evil is often multiplied. Where evil becomes modeled, it's often modeled, it's, it's multiplied. When evil is done to someone, what we find so often in life is that evil is done by that same someone. Usually it doesn't begin with malicious evil. 
but just the ways that life hits us and we get hurt. And out of our hurt, we hurt others. Hurt people hurt people. So what happens so many times, we think about some of the hardest moments in our lives, the places that we've been hurt and the way that we reacted or the way that we responded in some of those moments. And when that continues, what we find it just keeps going and going and going and escalating and escalating and escalating. It becomes a vicious cycle that can sometimes go on for generations. For some of you, when you've looked at your family tree and you thought like, oh, what are the patterns that have happened here? You can see that continuing to go on until somehow the cycle breaks. Until usually God comes in <laughs> to the situation. And someone says, enough. They turn to Jesus and they receive healing and they learn how to forgive and then realize those instructions like Paul says. and says, we can't actually defeat evil with evil. The only way to defeat evil is with good. And we spend our lives healing and recovering and learning to forgive and saying, okay, I'm not going to take vengeance against the other person. Instead, I'm going to do good. I'm going to entrust them over to God, leave room for his wrath and his judgment because I don't want to perpetuate this any longer. And by the grace of God, we're able to break the cycle. But Ahab doesn't. Each king in this story repeats the cycle over and over and over again. They perpetuate it. And Ahab says, I'm just going to even do it better. He intensifies it. And we read about him. Then he marries Jezebel, who we'll talk about a little bit later on. But we're introduced to her as the princess of Sidon, of Phoenicia, someone who worships Baal or Baal. And that worship, what we know is like, you can look at this and be like, oh, they just had some different ideas about God, worshiping God by a different name, worshiping God differently. No, that's not what's going on. They're beginning to believe something entirely different. And Baal being the storm god and the highest in the pantheon amongst Canaanite religions, the worship of Baal included the practice of child sacrifice. It's not disconnected from ethics. It's evil. And we see it happening in the next verse. A couple of verses later, it says, During Ahab's time, Hillel from Bethel built Jericho, and he set up its foundations at the cost of his oldest son, Aviram. And he hung its gates at the cost of, its, of his youngest son, Saguv. This fulfilled the Lord's word spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. After advocating for Baal worship, Ahab permits the rebuilding of Jericho. And the constructor, the construction person who goes on and builds this city, his two sons are likely offered as a foundation sacrifice. A sacrifice that's common in the ancient world, a known practice of, you know, sort of pleading for the gods to found and protect and cause the city to flourish and give up something precious to them and sacrifice. This is evil. This is dark. And where this gets sort of odd and uncomfortable and confusing for us, if it's not so much so already, it's when we read lines like, and this fulfilled the word of the Lord spoken through Joshua. Like, what do you mean that this fulfilled the word of the Lord? Back in Joshua chapter 6, after the battle of Jericho, Joshua declared that anyone who attempts to rebuild this city will do so at the cost of their oldest and youngest child. 
It's not the only mention of a word spoken through a prophet in this passage we find in 1 Kings 15, 29. When he became king, Basha attacked the entire house of Jeroboam and he didn't allow any living person to survive in Jeroboam's family. He wiped them all out according to the word of the Lord spoken by the prophets. A few verses later, Zimri destroyed the entire house of Basha's. Basha's just does one thing to Jeroboam. Now Zimri does it to him in agreement with the Lord's word that was spoken through the prophet. According to the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet is one of these explanations that's given for these texts. It's not the only one. First Kings 15.30 says this happened because of Jeroboam's sin that he committed, that he caused Israel to commit because he angered the Lord. Later on, 1 Kings 16, 13, this happened because of all Basha's sin, as well as the sins of his son Elah, because they caused Israel to sin. They angered Israel's God, the Lord, with their insignificant idols, according to the word of the Lord, on account of the sin that angered God. What are we to make of that? As we read these texts, there's a couple things that, we're meant to hear in this that can be hard for us. The first is that a good and just God must judge evil. A good and just God must judge evil. For God to be good, for God to be just, for God even to be loving, that he must confront, condemn, and ultimately eradicate evil. There can be no justice without judgment. There can be no peace without God stopping evil in its tracks. And as hard as it is for us to imagine, God's anger at evil is an act of love for us. God's anger at evil is an act of love for us. God made us. He loves us. He longs for us to live and to live well in the world. And he wants that for everyone. So in his love, he stands against everything that comes against his best for us and his best for others. One of my professors, Robert Mulholland, put it this way. He said, it could be said that the wrath of God is the love of God that moves astringently, rigorously, unrelentingly against anything in our being or in our world that is inconsistent with God's will for our wholeness in his image. See, we have these moments, though, when we experience God coming against the evil that comes against us. Those are moments where we experience profound freedom, profound joy. When God or those working on his behalf come against the evil that's coming against us and we find protection and we find hope and we find healing and we find all of those things, we experience that as profound joy. When God comes against us for our capitulation in evil, for the things that we're doing that are not God's best for us or others are painful. It feels more like wrath and love in those moments and yet the kindness of God is bringing those things into our lives that we might repent and change. He's loving us and loving those who we are sinning against that we might move into flourishing. But it's really tragic when God comes against evil in us or others and we refuse to participate in his work. We refuse to repent and follow the path of Ahab and just keep doing what's evil in God's eyes. Perhaps, though, the most troublesome in our lives or in the lives of others is just the persistence of evil, the ongoing nature of it. Those questions that we asked at the beginning, why didn't God prevent this from happening? Why is he allowing it continue? And what are we supposed to do in the meantime? 
What are we to do? Even as we look at this text, we see God coming against evil, coming against um, what's happening in the nation. We see the prophets rising up and speaking truth to power, and we see judgment coming. But oftentimes there's these long delays. The northern kingdom lasts for 200 years, and there's not a single good king in the mix. It's not like, oh, there's a good king, so we've got some hope. It's just one bad one after another, and it's 200 years of it. And it's often decades between the prophetic confrontation and that fulfillment that we read. And I wish I could give you simple answers. We don't find them. We don't find simple answers. Instead, what we find is invitations to trust a good God. N.T. Wright, in his book, The Evil and the Justice of God, which is a phenomenal read, he says this. He says, somehow, strangely into us, sometimes annoyingly, I would say infuriatingly, uh, rather than annoyingly, the creator God will not simply abolish evil from his world right now. The question that swirls around these discussions is, why not? And in the scriptures, we are not given an answer We are instead informed in no uncertain terms that God will contain evil, that he will restrain it, that he will prevent it from doing its worst, and that he will even on occasion use the malice of human beings to further his own strange purposes. And even then, he doesn't constrain it or restrain it or prevent it to my liking. I would like him to do it differently. Like, can, can we do this in some different way? And his use of human malice to further his own strange purposes is not necessarily comforting to me all the time. In First Kings, I'm glad, as I read through, I'm glad each and every one of these kings are removed. And yet the means are gruesome. The evil doing evil to others is not God's means. This is evil coming against evil for its own purposes. And yet God powerfully, hiddenly, strangely at work, somehow accomplishing his purposes in the midst of evil attacking evil. And we're invited to the often difficult life of patient trust and active resistance. To patient trust in a good God and active resistance of evil in the world. So what do we do while evil remains? What do we do in moments like we're facing today? Three things I just want to share with you really simply today that are helpful for me to remember. They're not philosophical explanations for the problem of evil. I'm not good at philosophy. There's other people for that. It's the personal relationship with Jesus and trying to navigate these things theologically that I'm, and prayerfully that I'm always concerned with. First thing is this, that while evil remains, we as the people of God anticipate Jesus' return. The central proclamation of our faith is that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. What that means is that in his death and resurrection, what we believe is that Jesus has decisively condemned and defeated evil. Every time evil is going on around us and we're looking at it and going like, God, where are you? And God, what do you think about this? We're invited to come back to the cross to say this is what God has done and this is what God thinks about it. God hates evil and he's willing to go to these extremes in order to defeat it by taking all of it upon 
himself. We're called to remember that Christ decisively defeated evil in his death and resurrection. And when he returns, evil will be vanquished and new creation will be fully realized. We're called to hold on to hope, to allow the future to be an anchor for hope for us in the midst of the ongoing present troubles, to say it will not always be this way. Why is God tearing? Why is he waiting? Why is it continuing? Why does it go on? I don't know. What I do know is that it will not go on forever. What I do know is that there will come a day when Jesus will return. There'll be no more death and no more war and no more sickness and no more disease and no more crying and no more pain. That when he comes, all of that will change. And what we're invited to do is to trust that the healing, the joy, the peace, the beauty, the goodness that we will experience then and there, then in the future and new creation will far outweigh the evil we experience here and now. And that is not an easy thing to trust in when we're going through hell. That's the hope that we have, is that there will come a day that all of this will be defeated. And what we'll experience is unending, inexplicable joy and beauty and peace and love and presence. And all of that will far outweigh what we experience here and now. While evil remains, we anticipate the day where it will end. And while evil remains, we're called to implement Jesus' reign in the earth. While we wait, there's work for us to do. It's not ultimate work. We're not the ones that bring that about. Only Jesus can do that. Our work is always a penultimate work. It's a work that is done out of the hope that someday Jesus will come and he will vanquish evil. But in the meantime, we stand as his people in active resistance to evil in the world. In active resistance through prayer. It seems like, what are we doing as we pray? There's so many times like this, I don't get it, God. But I'm going to trust that as I pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that you are marshalling all of the strength of heaven on behalf of people here on earth. And someday your kingdom will come and your will will be done. And we're called to step in line with Elijah and, Eli- uh, Elijah and Elisha and all of the other prophets and speak truth to power, to call evil, evil, to condemn it in every way and to say, that is not right, that is not good, that is not God, that is not his way. We're called to lift up our voice in prayer and in the prophetic and we're called to use every power that we have to actively resist it, to use power rightly and to use power redemptively to take all of our skills, all of our resources, all of our creativity, all of our strength to combine it together and to stand in the face of evil filled with the spirit of God and trusting him to work in us and through us. To speak truth to governments that are causing evil and to use our vote, the strength of that, to call people into offices that they might use their strength in the right ways. To come alongside every single institution that's meant to prevent and correct evil and to say, we're going to join you in whatever ways that we can and we're also going to hold you to accounts to do both of those things. 
to work in every way to actualize Jesus' reign and to do that in all of our vocations. For those of you who are teachers, to teach history and teach ethics and to come alongside and say, we're gonna talk about what it is to be good in the world. To invite people in. Those of you who work in medicine and those places to come alongside families in crisis and say, we're gonna work for good in the world. Those of you who design cities and work in engineering and who are serving in missionary capacities, developing, you know, developing, helping nations develop to come alongside. We're gonna do everything we can to bring about good in the world and to resist evil. We're going to get busy in prayer and being prophets and putting our hands to the plow to do everything that we can. And while evil remains, we receive Jesus's redemption in our own lives. In our own lives. It's so easy in these conversations to want to draw circles around groups and to say, well, there's evil over there. There's us and there's them. But in his brilliant book, the Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn famously wrote that the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The line of good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And the first act of resistance to evil in the world is always our own repentance. It's the turning away from the evil that's in our own hands and turning to the God who stretched out his hands to forgive us. It's always the first act. That's why it's the first act after every message is to come to the table in repentance, crying out to God to heal us and redeem us. As Dr. Pete comes to lead us to the table, I want us to just take a few moments, though, and just some silent reflection today. I know this is a heavier message. I was talking to Sarah. I was like, I think I just chose the wrong topic. I'm like, how are you feeling about the sermon? It's like, I just chose to speak on evil. <laughs> And it feels so heavy, and yet that's the reality of our lives. It's like we face this. It hits us all differently at different times, but we face this. And I shared three things today, that there are moments in the midst of evil that what we desperately need is hope. We need to cling on to hope that things will not always be this way. Sometimes in the midst of evil, what we need is encouragement to continue to do good in the world. Because it feels like our efforts in prayer, our efforts in our jobs, our efforts in whatever we do just don't seem to be making a difference. And we need encouragement that our work matters and that when Jesus comes, we'll see the full fruit of that. And there are other times that we are here and thinking about that, and we, what we need is help. We need forgiveness. We need redemption. We need healing. We need something to change in our own lives so that we can break the cycle of violence in our families can break the cycle of evil that we've experienced, that we can find our own freedom. And today, I just want you to think about those three things. What do you feel like you need most of? Do you need hope today? Hope that evil will not always be here. And take some moments to just ask Jesus, Jesus, would you give me a fresh picture of new creation? <laughs> would you revive hope in me that you will return? Maybe today you just need encouragement for the things that you're doing, encouragement in prayer, encouragement in your work, and encouragement all the things that you're doing to exercise your power rightly and redemptively in the world as an act of resistance to evil and as a sign of Jesus' in-breaking kingdom. Would you pray today and say, Jesus, would you encourage me? Would you give me creativity? Would you give me strength? Would you help me to tarry in prayer?
to continue to do good. Or maybe today you need help. You found that evil has touched you in some really deep and hard ways and you need healing or maybe knowing you've participated in evil and need forgiveness and freedom. Jesus' own redemption, just begin to ask for it today. Jesus, would you redeem? Would you restore? Would you break the cycle? In my life, that I might come alongside and help others and not be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. Amen. This is Jesus' table. And all who believe Jesus is the true king of the world are welcome to receive, regardless of your church background or affiliation. But if that doesn't describe you this morning, thank you for coming. We're honored that you're here and encourage you to keep asking questions about Jesus. But if you are ready to follow him, if you're ready to follow Jesus, we invite you to join us as we confess our sin, ask for forgiveness, and trust him for salvation. Words will be on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. <laughs> and walk in your ways to the glory. Amen. Well, I have some great news for you. It's my joy this morning to announce really good news to you. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love towards us. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. As those who have been raised in new life with Jesus, please stand to greet those around you and share the peace you have in Jesus with one another. Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts and let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Amen. Amen. It is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us in your image and breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained and remains steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your Son to be faithful 
on our behalf. So on the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim the mystery of faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Now the table is a place of remembrance and a place of encounter. Let's sing this prayer together and ask the Holy Spirit to meet us this morning. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So receive them in remembrance that Jesus died for you. And feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. If this is your first time, here you can scan the QR code. You can look at scan the QR code on the screen for the instructions to communion, or just watch and follow what everybody else in the room is doing. But if you're unable to come forward, please ask someone to bring the elements to you. Would the servers please come? Let's worship together as we come to the table.
paints a canvas with a million stars. Still he holds my heart. Isn't bound by circumstance. He's the God of second chance. How good is He? When a sinner's heart is all that I can bring, still He welcomes me.
sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him As we close today, if there's anything you need prayer for, those who serve you communion are your prayer team now. They'll be here for as long as you want, so please avail yourself to that. Take the extra moment to have someone carry with you the weights that you're carrying in this life. Uh, any elementary families here, so you have a kid in first through fifth grade, we're gonna do a Family Connect lunch right after this. And so when you pick your kids up, just plan on lingering longer and staying for lunch, and we'll play together as a way of connecting together. And as you go, a blessing for you, would you open up your hands to receive? According to Jesus in the Gospels, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither should your light be hidden this week. But you should put it on a stand so that all can see. And in the midst of discussions about evil, Jesus is sending you today as agents of good and of light. So go and shine. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and you reflect him to the world in which you're going. May he turn to you and be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Y'all stay salty, shine brightly. We'll see you around town and next week. Go and be the light.